this this stuff represents Peyton going to heaven. And the second one is going to represent his um, ahead of um, his first of his anniversary. Illicit drug use disorder is the most stigmatized health condition in the world. With alcohol use disorder, not far behind, at fourth in the world. The degree of stigma is related to the perceived cause of the condition. So if it is thought of to not be someone's fault, the stigma is lower. And the degree of stigma is lower if it is perceived to not be under someone's control. Now, I want to say in general that the stigma of substance abuse is killing people because many face discrimination and barriers to getting help. Now, I also ask the question, which is, how do people know the cause and how much control the person has unless you make assumptions or in some cases have an opinion, which isn't a fact? Do medical conditions fall in this category? Or what about someone who uses drugs to help with major depression or anxiety disorders? Some may say for them to see a doctor, but psychiatric medications in many cases are trial and error. Now, we're going to give a voice today to someone that, once you hear the story, will probably lower the stigma for them. And I'm sure that most would have said, here's another statistic, because how many people care? Well, I do. Stay tuned for Peyton Presley Moore right, and his go. voice that we're going to bring back with the help of his family. generations and make people consider anything from love to loss and does what little else can it can inspire the poet speaks to the reader intimately and exclusively giving you an insight into the inner workings of their minds their ideas and their love and if done well it can illuminate parts of life to the reader that had never been considered 
poetry is many times considered the highest form of literature as it influences us because it shows different shades of human beings. Poetry is one of the most ancient arts and also the product of human imagination. It expresses different feelings such as friendship, love, death, and other human emotions. Our purpose today is to get to know a young man who lost his life too young. We're going to begin with a poem. And this poem is called, When God Comforted Me. Colleen McLean. From heaven he was delivered as a baby unto you. When God said to me softly, I'm trusting you to do. Everything that's needed to nurture and to love. He's your little angel sent from me above. You see, spirits cannot be held, hugged, or kissed. The body that was his vessel is what you'll surely miss. But his spirit that I shared with you on that one special day, that is what I promise to never take away. So he is back in heaven now. The earth was not his place. He taught you all he could about dignity and grace. So as you grieve and weep to see him once again, I promise he's waiting here when you get to heaven. Got a boat, got a car Got a house with a yard I'm still working the best job I've ever had But I'd give it all away Every dollar that I've made If I could only bring you back There's a door that I keep closed There are boxes full of clothes But it's memories I'm wishing I could pack I would retrace every step Say the things I should have said If I could only bring you back There's no words I can say Not a prayer I can pray No road that you can take back to my heart Calling out to me And a longing in my soul I've never had I wish I could touch your face I would even take your place If I could only bring you back But you'll never 
Got a boat, got a car Got a house with a yard I'm still working the best job I've ever had But I'd give it all away Every dollar that I've made If I could only bring you back I could only bring Hey, this is Eric McCoy with High Wall Clean. All I am here for for this is to guide and sort of direct this show. Uh, Peyton Presley Moore is the star as we're giving a voice to those that we've lost. Peyton, who was 23, passed away on February 27, 2021. And one thing that I can tell you through my research was that he was loved by the ladies. <laughs> Peyton graduated from Arlington High School in Arlington, Tennessee in 2015. And then while still in high school at the age of 16, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it didn't seem through all of my research, like he was going to let that slow him down. And he wanted to go to college, from my understanding, after high school. And he was granted a wish from Make-A-Wish to have his college tuition paid for and ultimately received his real estate license. He was very active and often found at the gym. Peyton and I may have met someday at a music festival, as that is an enjoyment that it seems like we both loved. He probably would have been spotted at theme parks and also enjoyed cruise ships with friends and family. Peyton was a huge sports fan and loved the NBA and NFL. And I guess Dallas Cowboys was his team. And his medical issues continued, and he had to have a full hip replacement at 19 years old. And he was a seven-year cancer survivor, passed away two weeks later to fentanyl poisoning. And we have today Kelly Presley and Joey Moore. So these are actually his mother and father. And I want to thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the ways that I, things that I would like to start with is to, again, get an understanding of who he was. What was his character? What was he like? Um, so Peyton was always the, like the life of the party. Um, he had a lot of friends. He, since he was a baby and could start talking, he loved to make funny faces. He loved to, um, sorry. He, he just liked to be, um, he was always like a, a I don't want to say attention seeker, but he, he definitely had um, this personality to him that, like you said, drew a lot of people to him, especially, you know, the girls. He was a good looking guy. He, he was, um, his dad took him to a Justin Bieber lookalike um contest when he was younger and he won it he looked a lot like justin bieber and um 
was backstage with Justin Bieber. He just, everybody just loved him. He just was that guy that, you know, people were drawn to him. Very likable. So I was with Peyton for the last few weeks that he was alive. And uh, we had just started kind of, you know, being romantically involved and um, getting to know each other. And Joseph and you guys know, um, I think you bone if you're here. Um, y'all were his dead ones. He loved y'all so much. And the way he talked about each and every one of you, you could see it in his eyes that it went through and through to him. Like he, I know he caused y'all pain. I know he put strains on y'all's relationships, but he, he cared about y'all so much and he wanted to fix things so bad and he just wanted to start over. And he was ready to do that and he was willing to do that. The love he had for you guys was, it, I mean, it shook me. It was really surprising to see a man be so open and honest about his love for his brothers. He considered you a brother, you know. <laughs> and I mean, even his friends, it was very genuine and it was very heartwarming. And I, that was something that really made me fall for him, was the way that he talked about y'all and cared for each and every single one of you. It, it showed how pure he was in that aspect. And he wanted to do better for, for y'all. He wanted to work better, to be better for you guys. I mean, I told you, he, you were the apple of his eye, Miss Kelly. Tell me what does it look like in heaven? Is it peaceful? Is it free like they say? Does the sun shine bright forever? Have your fears and your pain gone away? Is there art and invention? 
take him to a football game right after all that happened uh like a, a junior high or high school football game totally different school didn't know a soul there and within before i could get them inside and paid for the game and buying the concessions i would drop them off and leave them and come back and there'd be 30 girls around him trying to get his, their picture made with him uh it, it it caught on that that much Probably probably didn't help his situation a whole lot, but um, yeah, he he was outgoing and he the he didn't gain everybody's attention to be the life of the party by being boisterous or loud or or, or outspoken. Uh, he had it was just something he would sit over in the corner and be cool, calm, and collective, and make a couple of jokes, and he'd have seven or eight people. <laughs> You know, around him, the red, he'd, when we'd go on vacation, he would do that. We hang out at the pool, he would do that, and then him and his brother and his friends all hung out. It, it was they'd have twenty people within the first two or three hours hanging out, and that's the way it stayed. Uh, and mainly on cruise ships is what I'm talking about, but mm -hmm. anywhere uh, we went down to Miami, to South Beach one time, and um, I, I took them to a lot of places when they were growing up. How many cruises? Uh, maybe six or seven with me and them. Uh, me and his older brother went on one because he has a, a daughter, and um, Peyton didn't go on that one. But <clears throat> the last one we went on, me, Peyton, and his brother.
five or six of his other friends. And we had, a, it was a good time. It was really memorable. It didn't happen that long ago. It was just last year. Four months ago. Yeah. So I want to ask you on, um, and I think I kind of got a little bit of an understanding, but during the surgeries and obviously the hip replacement, and then obviously he had cancer at 16. What was, let me ask you this. What was his view on all of this stuff when he got the cancer? I don't think he looked at it as serious as it was. Uh, the only thing he cried about was when they were telling him he was going to have to get a pick line put in, that he wasn't going to be able to play football anymore. He was playing football on his high school football team. Mm. That's the only time I saw him cry. So he kind of walked through that pretty with a lot of courage and, and a lot of strength. And he, I think he was overwhelmed and, and uh, surprised by all the attention. And everybody that came and supported him. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of friends and obviously family. Peyton, he did. He he had a lot of courage. And one thing he would tell me, and he would say, Mom, I, I don't want to be thought of the guy with cancer. Mm-hmm. I just want to live a normal life. And, but everybody loved him. He was so still to this day, we still get people that call Joey and I and they'll be at his, at the cemetery visiting him, his friends. I mean, he touched so many lives cause he was so special and um, when he had that, when he got diagnosed with cancer, I mean, he, he had a lot of friends that would go up there with us to St. Jude and had so much support, so much love. And he just acted like, oh, this is no big deal. He, you know, and he got through it. Yeah. And then he got the, it was with the hip replacement. That's when he started, he was put on pain medications. Is that? A year after he, he got finished with his chemo he had a very high intense of for i think 11 to 12 weeks of chemotherapy the chemo and the high doses of prednisone and through normally it takes a few years for um what they call a vascular necrosis to set in to a lot of cancer patients but his happened so aggressively and it started deteriorating his hips. He started limping and having hip pain and we took him to an orthopedic doctor and they let us know that this was from the high doses of prednisone. So he was put under and was given a lot of opiates due to that to help with like cordy compressions where they were cementing his hip back together. And he had that two or three times, I believe. And, um, by the time he was age 19, within a couple years, his hip was totally crumbling. The doctor said that it crumbled in his hand. Mm-hmm. And he, it was, um, they were talking about how strong he was to deal with all that pain, still trying to live a normal life. 
probably still desiring football, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He was I always said he was going to be a sports commentator because he was so good at talking. He knew everything about sports. Did he get that from dad? Probably so. <laughs> I don't think no. He had, he got it. I don't know where he got his memory from. Probably <laughs> my dad and my brother were like that. They could play Jeopardy and answer every question all the way through it. Some out, you know, just uh, uh, you know something that happened in the seventeenth century, and 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 Peyton was the same way. And I <clears throat> I remember first noticing how good his memory was when he was about five years old. We were in Disney World, and I couldn't remember where we parked. <laughs> and he remembered the number and the character face that was, that was I think he might have been four or something. And I go, uh -huh. oh, I, I, I was just trying to remember it by sight, but he had a really vivid memory. I mean, it was nothing for him. We'd be watching a game. Uh, we watched all football games. He was certainly the Dallas Cowboy game, but we'd watch the early games and the late game. And, you know, he, he remembered everybody's names that were playing and uh, <clears throat> somebody would catch a pass for the New England uh, or Green Bay Packers and uh, a guy intercepts it and runs it back. And he would say, hey, you, you remember when we were watching the LSU game in the championship and, you know, like five years prior? Remember, remember he intercepted that ball and ran it back? And I don't know how he did that. Me and, my, me and his brother would sit there and just look at each other. And go, what? No, we don't remember that. And he just remembered it vividly, all of it. And he did that during basketball, during football, all of the games. It wasn't just isolated incidents. He could do that with every player. So he had a had a really good memory, and it helped him a lot in math and his schoolwork because he effortlessly went through school, and I struggled doing my homework <laughs> through algebra, and they took, like, trigonometry, calculus, and all of that, and Never had one teacher call me or and they made great grades and him and his brother did. Um, the comfort that many of us feel when a loved one passes away is that they're in a better place, that all their wounds have been erased and the only scars in heaven, well, the casting crowns are going to tell us. If I had only known the last time would be the last time I would have put off all the things I had to do I would have stayed a little longer Held on a little tighter Now what I'd give for one more day with you Cause there's a wound here in my heart where something's missing And they tell me that it's gonna heal with time But I know you're in a place where all your wounds have been erased And knowing yours are healed is healing mine The only scars in heaven that won't be There'll be no such thing as broken And all the old will be made new And the thought that makes me smile now Even as the tears fall down 
scars in heaven Or on the hands that hold you now I know the road you walked was anything but easy You picked up your share of scars along the way but now you're standing in the sun You fought your fight and your race is run The pain is all a million miles away The only scars in heaven It won't belong to me and you There'll be no such thing as broken Scars in heaven yeah, Are on the hands that hold you now Not a day goes by that I don't see you You live on in all the better parts of me Until I'm standing with you in the sun I'll fight this fight and this race I'll run Until I finally see what you can see Such thing is broken And all the old will be made new And the thought that makes me smile now And even as the tears fall down Is that the only scars in heaven Are on the hands that hold you now you know, as far as his surgery, when he when when he got through taking his uh, he he had his opiates, and I stayed around him the whole time. And he said, "Hey, can I just leave them at your house, and that way, you know, I know I'll have them." And I said, "Yeah." I mean, he he had taken a, probably half of them, but I think I gave him a couple to take home. I said, "You never know when you're going to be playing basketball or getting out of the car funny and 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 injure that. You might need one of these really quick." But uh, just like everybody else, I don't know if you've ever in, in, in my twenties, I injured my arm real bad at work and had to have a, a real serious surgery on my arm, and I I didn't know what Percocets were. Till I was 27 years old, mm. and. Uh, I was like, oh, man, these things are great. You know, they go great with alcohol. I don't know if you've ever taken them, but it just every I would say that to friends. Have you ever taken a Percocet? You know, and they go, oh, yeah, you need to save them. You know, I never really thought about it. All my, all my brothers did drugs. My, 
everybody's I grew up with did. I just never mm-hmm. did, but I I did like those. You know, mm-hmm. I, have you ever done one? I have. I mean, yeah. It's I, some people they like the way it makes them feel, and some people say it makes them sleepy. Some people say it makes them sick. Some people say it gives them energy, and that's mm-hmm. what it did for me. And I think that's what it did with him. Uh, he shared with his mom and rehab the first time that he ever snorted one is when he couldn't stop. Yeah. Some some kid was they were fixing to go in a club and he and he asked him if he had some and asked him if he ever snorted them and he said no and they got I guess they got a couple and snorted them and it, I've never done that. Uh, it, it might I guess it gives you a totally different high or a more extreme one I, I don't know but. Uh, yeah. When he was in the hospital after that hip replacement, though, he did say he liked how that medicine made him feel. And, of course, I'm thinking he's out of pain. I'm not thinking he's. The pleasure of highness part of it. Yeah, we weren't thinking that. We're just thinking, okay, gosh, finally he's feeling good. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even realize about his addiction until he flipped his car down into a what mm. um seven foot embankment or something oh, it was, it was, it was a, way deep 40, uh, 40 foot embankment there, there are three rivers that run with well, four really rivers that run through memphis and he was meeting me to eat one night and uh <clears throat> He was late. I was calling him. He had already told me what he wanted to eat, and I ordered it. It was sitting on the table, and uh, somebody called me from his phone. Go back in there. And uh, said he had wrecked his car, and um, he he went down probably about a 45- or 50-foot embankment, and the back of his car was sitting in the Wolf River. Mm -hmm. And... um, pitch black down there i guess it busted all the glass in his car busted uh the side windows all of his airbags went out all over the car and by the time i got over there he had climbed up out of the ravine and was with the guy that called me and uh, I, i went back down there to try to get some of his stuff out of the car because i knew the car we'd never see that again it was trash and uh that's that's the first time he said that he had an issue. He already knew something was wrong uh, because he was living with me at the time. And, you know, he kept disappearing at night and come back, you know, and I, you know, we, I, I knew something was wrong and I asked him about it multiple times and he finally told us that night and that was his first incident going into rehab how many rehabs did he go to two he actually he went to that one that night um and then that was at the beginning of 2020 march of 2020 and um when he had that car accident and he stayed in there for a couple of weeks to detox and then he came back home and he was going through secondary withdrawals and he he stayed with me for a a couple probably a couple of months and then he um by the end of october 
um, he was still using and um, we didn't know really where he was. So he ended up going back into, um, he, he was working at Amazon and he wanted to, he said he wanted to get clean. I just reached out to him one day and said, I love you. I said, I'm really worried about you. And I said, when you're ready, I said, just let me know. I said, I'm all, I said, I'm always here for you. And that's all I said. Well, within 12 hours, he sent me a long text and I, I let him make those decisions of what he wanted to do. I wasn't going to force my hand with him just for the simple fact that that doesn't work with him. It needed to be his decision. So he went to a local um, hospital and he just kept saying he wanted to detox and just get off of it and go back to work. I knew he needed longer term recovery than that. So by day three, he was in there. He, we get a phone call that they were rushing him to the ER. They'd given him some boxing too soon, from my understanding. And he, he went into seizures. When we saw him, it was not good. And he was in ICU for about four days. Mm. And then when he got out, he went to a longer term rehab. He didn't remember any of that. Uh, he he was. I mean, his fingers were curling up. His his body. He couldn't control his, his body as he was laying there. It just looked like he was having a nightmare. And wow. we 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 was worried that he had brain damage uh, from it because just he wasn't coming out of it, you know. And he finally did. And how, how long from when he went in did they take him to the hospital? Within like three to four days, mm -hmm. they found him in his room and he had vomited and he was um, already starting to seize and they took him to the ER. And um, that's when COVID was very, you know, we couldn't, they let, they let Joey back there with him, but we had to take turns. Yeah. He was he was not in good shape at that point in time at all. Right. And then he gets out of treatment or rehab or whatever. And how long before until he passed away? So he got out. Um, it was about four months. Um, I'd seeked out the first time an addiction knowledgeist that was in our area. That was really a great doctor for him and did not take any type of excuses and he'd gotten them the Vivitrol shot that's what he said he wanted to do and it, it truly made him lethargic something about that medication did not do well with him um the pill form did but not the shot and I mean I was there to witness it firsthand with him and because um, he was living, he was back living with me at that time. And he, he um, wanted to get off that Vivitrol shot. So February, he was on it. He was going in for his third or fourth dosage by that time. And by, he decided, you know, he asked his doctor if he could have the, the pill for him. And he told him, he said, Peyton, if you can't take the shot, you can't take the pill for him. And 
which I questioned that at that time with him saying that. But um, Peyton said, well, I, I feel like I can do it on my own. And that was February 9th. By February 13th, he left our house. And I talked to him February 14th. And for almost two weeks till February 27th, we did not know where he was. We, we finally um, found out where he was. And I heard that he was... Um, with some friends the night before he passed away. And um, we got the call the next day. Yeah. The times that he did that, when when he would, like, it might be a girl, it might be a party, it might be something he wanted to get away. He didn't want his mom to know what he was doing. <clears throat> when she was missing in action, I could always get in touch with him or call a friend to tell them to get in touch with him. And I had just purchased him a, a new car a couple of months before this when, you know, I, after he wrecked that other car and I got him, I, I don't know why I sold the other car, but I, I got I got him a, a new car. The, the guy that I got the car from, uh, he puts trackers in all of his cars uh, in case he has to repossess them, you know, if people stop paying on them. So I knew he did that. Peyton didn't know he did that, but I called him and told him to turn the tracker on. So I start watching his movement for uh, the first day. I, I, I knew he was back using because of the areas of town he was going in and, and coming back. And uh, I tried to call him. He wouldn't answer. I was texting him. He wouldn't answer. And that's why I started calling their friends. Those friends like, yeah, yeah, well, I talked to him. I'll get him to call you. I didn't hear nothing for two days. I called the friend back. I said, hey, you know, what's the deal? I hadn't heard from any of them. He goes, oh, what do you mean? He, did you not talk to him? I go, no. He goes, man, he just told me the best story of the, of the conversation y'all had that he said he did talk to you. And that was this was the day before he passed away. So I'm at work. Uh, I left work to try to go find him go to where he was and I was uh, I was as I was driving to the first spot by the time I got over there I started looking at my phone to see where he was and he had moved he was at the at a McDonald's drive-thru on Union so um I was going to go there and once I once I started getting ready to pull up to McDonald's, I I, I didn't really want to embarrass him and look like a psycho crazed father. I'm a police officer, and you know, I don't know. I just didn't want to embarrass him, so I, I kind of backed off at that point and didn't go to the. They were still sitting in the drive-through, and I went back to work and started just monitoring where he went. And a few hours later, after they left McDonald's, they went up the street and his car stayed on the side of the road for a long time. And that, I don't know if it's on the side of the road. It could have been in a parking lot, but they, uh, over in a kind of nicer part of Memphis. And so I, I was going to drive over there. And by the time I got over there, the car had moved again to a neighborhood. And, um, uh, I drove by there and the car had a flat tire. So 
I called the the person that I bought the car from and talked to talked with him about a uh, somebody that could repossess the car, take the car, and I paid some guy to go over there and snatch the car that night. Because I usually when something happens to his car or something's happened, you know, he something happens to him like that, he he'll call me, and he didn't. When he realized he had parked the car in front of a neighbor's house and that he thought the neighbors had had caught had it towed off because it had a flat parked in front of their house. And he called his brother asking to borrow some money that he said he knew where it was. And uh, anyway, his brother sent him some money and it was the um, Mississippi had just dropped their mask mandate. And everybody he went to college with, everybody he went to high school with, kids he grew up with were there. I mean, every everybody in Memphis seemed like went there because they could go in there with no mask and, you know, drink, hang out, listen to music uh, like uh, they always did. And uh, that's where he went. And I knew his car, I knew where his car was and I knew where the house was. It was sitting in front of, but I didn't know the person there. Nobody else knew he was there. Uh, just his friends were calling me, telling me they had seen an Instagram thing or they had talked to somebody that saw him and all that. So I figured he was in decent hands at that point. He didn't have a car to drive around to get it. And he didn't, uh, you know, and everybody seemed to say he looked okay, you know, when they saw him. But um, and we got the call the next day that night. He apparently to hear from the friends that he was with, uh, they left the house, stopped by McDonald's, got something to go. And they were all sitting around the house and, and eating. And um, I, I think some girls were supposed to be coming over. I don't know. Uh, one of his friends told me that, that, that he thought they were. And the the other what was the boy's name? The redheaded boy. That's why he, Peyton took took those two Percocets when they were all getting ready to go to bed. And we don't know if it was you know for the some girls coming over or if he just took them because that's when he likes to take them. I, I don't know. And they obviously but, weren't uh, Percocet. Yeah, they right. were. 43 nanograms of fentanyl. Wow. Yeah. And the boy that he got them from supposedly is a, I've been friends with his mother since we were teenagers. And he uh, selling drugs, doing drugs. And his mother had just kicked him out of the house because he, uh, she found a gun on him. Mm-hmm. He had started carrying a gun. He was a little good looking guy, you know, kid wasn't 20, 21 years old at the time. And, uh, he was there and, um, he let, um, Peyton had a crucifix. that was, um, had some diamonds and silver and gold, I guess. And the boy wanted to borrow it for a date or something. And Peyton let him borrow it. And uh, I'm, I, he said he gave him some 
some pills instead of paying, you know, letting it, you know, for, for letting him do that. The mother, the mother uh, made him get in the car and bring me that necklace and tell me that he was sorry and um, that he's passed away since too. So, Overdose. Right. Well, his were the, the police. He, he was asleep in somebody's driveway and the police were called. When the police got there, uh, he got out and started talking with them and pushed one of them away, jumped back in the car and took off running. They chased him and uh, he went to the Wolf River and parked his car and ran and jumped in the water. Got to the other side, took his clothes off. The police were coming in from the other side, too. So he swam back out in the water and started treading downstream, grabbed a log sticking out of the water and died of hypothermia. Wow. And he had marijuana and stuff in his car. And and his mother called me. She had been on a flight. She's a flight attendant and called me and said, hey, uh, Tyler's missing. Is there is there any way you can... Uh, you know, you can help me out. And I said, call the police, call the police. I've a missing your per person. She didn't do that for a little while, but when she finally did it, they, they had a John Doe that it, they, he didn't have any ID on him because his pants went down to the bottom of the water. And he wow. had, um, he had been, he had been sent selling the Percocets with fentanyl in them. And there was several people that passed away from him giving them those. His girlfriend, he had, he had an 18-year-old girlfriend that just graduated from high school. Did, uh, did he know that he was giving out fentanyl? Yes. He did, yes. okay. Yeah. And, and not telling people. Right. Wow. You know, my drug of choice was uppers. I was a meth, you know, abuser. Um, although I kind of got into everything at some point in time or another. But yeah, we're finding out, you know, now there's, you know, fentanyl being the drug of choice for a lot of people too. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's scary. Um, now you being a police officer, you probably see a lot of this stuff. Yeah. If I was in narcotics, I'd see a lot of it. I mean, they, they, they train us uh, to, you know, to, we, people don't, we don't search cars the way we used to. Uh, uh, there, there's been incidents where, officers have been searching cars and you know get some on them and they're laying out you know start passing out on the floor uh a couple of them have been hospitalized nobody's you know y'all have seen videos of all over the united yeah. states where it's happened but um uh, it's seen a lot of it now a whole is totally different now than it was 10 years ago um, I was on a drug interdiction unit for three years and we found kilos of cocaine. We found bales of marijuana, mm. bales of mushrooms, and the kilos were always, the cocaine was, all, that, that and the heroin was always in kilos. Now it's pill bottles, big bottles of homemade pills. And uh, they're all made to look like every bus you see on TV is, is just that big bags and and, and plastic barrels of pressed pills that mm -hmm. look like Percocet. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, you don't know what you're taking anymore. Yeah. I want to ask you guys, um, going back to uh, Peyton, if he were here today, what would he tell you? I'm sorry. 
he definitely would tell us how sorry he is. We heard that several times. He never wanted to disappoint us. Yeah, one thing I could tell, and because I kind of was looking even at his Facebook and you know some of the social media, that he loved loved you guys tremendously. And it's there's so much on his sites that show that, you know, with even messages, Mother's Day, Father's Day, lots of love. Peyton, I never saw him in a bad mood. I swear, I don't think I ever caught this kid in a bad mood. I've been around him from when he was born until he was old enough to go on road trips and hang out party and all that, but I, I don't have a single memory of him talking bad about somebody or being angry about something or, you know, just resenting something. This kid, uh, he was full of joy. Uh, he was definitely full of love, for sure. Uh, he'll always be a little kid to me. I'm sure y'all know him in a different way, but uh, he'll always be small. He'll always be full of life, he'll always be full of joy. Uh, one of the best, happiest times that I had with him was, uh, this was back, uh, he was 11 years old, just got a brand new car, and we're heading down to Dallas to watch a football game. And uh, he's been sleeping in the back of the car, so I think maybe Joseph and Peyton both had on some pajamas or you know lounging pants or something, and we're getting close to the stadium. We're going to take a tour the day before the game, and cars are honking as they're going by me. And I'm thinking, am I speeding? What's going on? Am I not going fast enough? And then I turn around, and Peyton has his butt cheeks pressed. <laughs> <laughs> this brand new view of Enclave. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> and he is just laughing, having the best time. The best time. So my memories of him will always be pure. They're always going to be full of love. And they're always going to be full of joy. The post that I found said, Happy birthday, Mom. I love you and hope you have the best day ever. I already ate those leftover chicken and dumplings. Thanks for being the best mom in the world. I love you. Thank you for watching over me All of the sleepless nights you lay awake Thank you for knowing when to hold me close when to let me go Thank you for every stepping stone And for the path that always leads me home I thank you for the time you took To see the heart inside of me You gave me the roots to start this life I learned to dream because you believed in me. There's no power like it on this earth, no treasure equal to its worth. The gift of a mother's love. Oh 
of my memory Thank you for every selfless unsung deed I know you did for me Thank you for giving me the choice To search my soul till I could find my voice And I thank you for teaching me strong enough to bear. You gave me the roots to start this life, and then you gave me wings to fly, and I learned to dream, because you Treasure equal to its worth The gift of a mother's love Although we divorced when the boys were little, we always tried to have a close relationship because our boys were so loved and we wanted them to grow up to, to know that no matter what, their mom and dad loved them. And we all, we've taken cruises, our cruise together. We've, we have our birth, you know, birthdays and families. So Joseph and people, you know, is our life. Yeah, that's great for you guys to be able to stay together for your kids. That's important. You know, sometimes when a child passes away, there's blame that goes out. Did you guys have any of that? I try not. I try not to dwell on that. And I'm sure she doesn't neither. And and in the whole scheme of things, we don't blame. But that still doesn't stop your brain from working on you. You know, what if you would have not got divorced? What if you would have lived in a different city? What if you would have picked a different profession? What if they went to a different school? You know, all of those things constantly bombard me. And then you can never go back. You'll never know. But we ask ourselves, what could we have done differently? And what we're learning, just especially from different I mean, we're part of Light Lost Voices of Fentanyl, and um, I'm, I'm in a lot of different support groups, and that it, this doesn't discriminate. It, this can happen to any family, any anyone, a couple that's never been divorced or a couple that has um, been divorced. It just does not discriminate. Um, we ask ourselves all the time, why does this happen? But we have a generational curse on both sides of addicts that run in both of our families. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it does start out with a choice, but then it becomes that disease. Mm-hmm. My grandfathers, my brother, my father, uh, the, the alcoholics, mm-hmm. 
driven to take pills and were, you know, alcoholics and addicts. I don't know how I dodged it. I hope you guys don't blame yourselves, you know, at all for choices. And that's what destroys people. I've had four people come. I've talked to four people today who's gone through the same thing. Uh, it just seems like a regular occurring thing. Uh, I people have people call me, ask me, how are you getting through this? And, you know, I, I wish I wasn't that person, but. That is a very good question. You know, that it can be very important for helping other people because yes, it, it is, it is happening. It's going to continue to happen. And we know that, um, you know, sadly, but let me ask you that question. So, you know, obviously it did happen. What have you done? Uh, first thing I started doing was getting heart examinations. Uh, I was, um, I was having some weird heart issues and it was, uh, I, I was pumping too much blood in one part of my heart. It was stretching the arteries and it couldn't didn't have enough room to come out on the, the other end. I don't, I can't remember the name that they call it, <clears throat> but I, broken heart syndrome. yeah, it has a medical term to it, but, uh, I, I, and my hair was falling out. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I started taking medicine. I don't like taking medicine. And uh, I, they were wanting me to take an antidepressant. And I, I think I took it one day and it made me feel so weird for the next four days. I didn't take any more. I've gotten therapy uh, from two different people, really three. And um, uh, other than other than you know talking with people in the same the same predicament, mm. uh, it just seems like every time it would happen to somebody, I would find them. Do you find uh, and so you do find talking it out and talking to people helpful? I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if any of it's helpful. Uh, maybe to them. I when it, when I'm when I'm talking to them about it, it doesn't bother me. You know when when they're the upset one, and I, I guess I feel like I can. You know, help them get through it. But when they start asking me about mine, I do this. Yeah. So it is not going to go away. I think I, I think I, I have acclimated into it, and I do a lot of things that uh, that help me with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, those things are hanging around my grandkids and trying to constantly do for them. So I'd probably do too much with them. But one thing that we can see with the tears in Peyton's father's eyes is that he loved them. I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. 
fighting was against the rules and it didn't matter why When Dad got home I told that story just like I'd rehearsed Then stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst And he said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love that my daddy said was just between us He said daddies don't just love their children every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen When I became a father in the spring of 81 was no doubt that stubborn boy was just like my father's son And when I thought my patience had been tested to the end I took my daddy's secret and I passed it on to him I said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love A secret that my daddy said was just between us Said daddies don't just love their children every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen Last night I dreamed I died and stood outside those pearly gates Suddenly I realize there must be some mistake If they know half the things I've done they'll never let me in And then somewhere from the other side I heard these words again And they said let me tell you a secret about a father's love secret that my daddy said was just between us You see, daddies don't just love their children every now and then It's a love without end, amen It's a love without end, amen I came across an image on Facebook page that I thought was pretty funny. Maybe this gives a little bit of a glimpse into his sense of humor. And the message he wrote on this was how to not get in trouble when you fail a test. And so it was a message between a son and a dad. Dad, I got my girlfriend pregnant. What? Nah, I'm just kidding. I just failed my bio exam. And the dad responds with, oh, thank God. For the girls that don't know who's in this picture, this is Dak Prescott, the quarterback for Dallas Cowboys. I've had a couple of people ask me who was in the picture with him. That's also the Dak Prescott's number. That was just, we, we, we met Dak, and I uh, actually, Dak Prescott took the picture of him. And uh, we sat in a restaurant for about three hours. Peyton was too nervous to go talk to him. And I kept telling him, just get up, walk there. And he would walk five feet and come back and say, oh, God, I can't believe I'm, I'm acting this way, you know. I don't know what to say. And he finally, I said, don't think about it. Just walk up to him and say, hey, I want to get my picture made with you. But when he did, he walked up, and Dak was real nice to him. He 
turned around, he took the picture, and Peyton was like, well, thanks a lot, you know, and he goes walking off, and Dak grabbed him by his jersey, and pulled him back, and said, let me see your, let me see your screenshot on your cell, cell phone there, your wallpaper, and it was of him, it was Dak Prescott, so that, that's what the picture is. I guess the best I can say is every day is a new day. And there's some days I can get up and he's, he's always on my mind. You know, um, he passed away on a Saturday. Saturday seems to be really hard for me. Uh, same with me. I went through therapy. I talked to a lot of different mothers and have a lot of support, um, a lot of more support coming on board through different groups and stuff. And it's just been, it's really, it truly has been a difficult road as far as grief. It has no, no boundaries at all. It's, it's, I feel like the reason why we want to do this podcast is um, and the reason we talk to people is to let them know that they have that support here. And, you know, we understand we want to be able to make people know that it's it truly is um, something very difficult to get, get through and that we just have to take it one day at a time. As I've said on these shows before is, you know, that, and it's a sad thing that has to happen, but we become the greatest advocates through pain. Um, and it is true that, you know, it is happening to, hasn't happened to all families yet, but it is kind of getting in that direction. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't care until it does happen, you know, to yes. them. And I wish it didn't have to be that way. You know, for me, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate, again, for people struggling with substance abuse, because that's my story. Um, legal issues was <laughs> part of my story. Pain, again, becomes a great motivator. Um, and unfortunately, it, you know, things a lot of times have to work out like this. And I do find, you know, that altruistic nature of helping people is powerful. Um, you know, when you're able to put your hand out, when, you know, people, uh, it feels good, you know, to, to be able to do that. And, uh, and I know you guys, cause again, this is so early, you guys got a long road ahead of you. You know, we always have these stories of, you know, things that we think about what somebody may have said that we laugh about, you know, you have something that always get, comes back in your head of a repeated thing that that person said that you laugh about, or you think about. We were talking about it over Father's Day um, where we were eating and mainly it's stuff I said that they made fun of or uh, <clears throat> usually I, I didn't realize I did it. But I remember I remember them, you know, saying it to me when they would get around their friends, they would mimic it uh, like if I would catch them doing something wrong or, or I'd say, what the hell is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> what in the, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? And they would say that back and try to say it like me. And Joseph <laughs> was telling me, oh, Peyton couldn't stand when you said that to him, you know, because he he, uh, he didn't want to disappoint. And uh, they, they made fun of us a lot, 
you know, they would they'd make faces. He'd make faces like his mom and uh, a lot of imitating. Huh? Yes. He loved to imitate people and he loved to make, uh, well, I mean, animals and, you know, if whatever animals we had, I'd talk to him like little babies and they would mock me talking like, <laughs> talking <laughs> like me. He, he was the master of that, making funny faces and stuff. We, we noticed that out of our granddaughter too. She's a lot like him. <laughs> I think it's always just kind of fun to think about that stuff. Is there anything you want to say about him that, that we haven't talked about? I know he didn't want to be that way. Uh, he didn't want to, he, he didn't want to do that, whatever makes him do it, you know, especially after he went through that, that, that bout of seizures and being in the hospital a week. No, he was embarrassed. He wanted people to be proud of him. And he was, he did not want to be known as that addict, you know, he had a, you know, he had a substance use disorder and it, took him and that's not how he wanted to that's not how he wanted to be known he wanted i mean i just i know him well enough that he he just wanted people to be proud of him and and i hope whatever and i i think that's with anybody you know we're all creatures of wanting acceptance and that's, I've always heard that is the opposite of addiction is acceptance. And that was him. One thing I hadn't said, I think, I don't know if you've heard this from any of you, the other people you've talked to, that music was a huge influence in my life. And I know it's a huge influence to young people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the music that they listened to and that they, glamorized were uh there his favorite rapper was a guy named mac miller mm-hmm. uh, i a saw a photo rapper. i saw a photo with him right yes right who died of an overdose yep um i we went to watch a dallas cowboy football game down there and him and his friends mac miller was playing that night i took him to see mac miller and picked him back up a couple hours mm-hmm. later and another one was juice world i don't know this rapper's real name but uh He's young, about the same age, died of the, died of the same thing. Um, if there was a music festival, Peyton traveled the United States going to music festivals. He's been to a lot of them. That's where he loved. To, that's what he loved to do. He loved music. He, he loved sports. He loved, he loved people. I think he loved the music festivals because there were so many scantily dressed girls. <laughs> That's why he'd send me pictures of some, you know, girls, some 19 year old girl half dressed parading around. One of them was his girlfriend. Yeah, that's why I think he liked him. But he, he did like the music. And that's 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 all that those those festivals that he went to. That's all they sing about mm-hmm. are drugs and overdosing and. And being high. Yeah. Were you proud of him? Certainly. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was, I was proud to hang around him. I, I, I was glad at the fact that he didn't mind me hanging out with all of his friends. We'd all go watch football games together. We'd all go 
Like we went on that cruise. I mean, who, what seven grown guys, you know, men in their twenties asked a father to go. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's he, probably he, not very uh, <laughs> common, not very common at all, at no. all. And, uh, but <clears throat> he, um, he, uh, on the cruise, he had a girlfriend and the girl didn't go. And he had girls on the cruise banging on his door at night, you know, asking his friends, where's Peyton? Why won't Peyton talk to me? Blah, blah, blah. And he was in the room next to me. I could hear everything that he was saying to them. He didn't want them anything to get back to his girlfriend. So he's loyal to his, to the girlfriend. When I was his age, I certainly wouldn't have been that way. Uh, I, but I wish I would have, but I just can't, can't imagine that 20, 20, he was 21 at the time. And, uh, yeah, those hormones uh, kick in and yeah, yeah. Oh. He was a good guy. He was a good, really good guy academically. Um, he wanted, he, he went through real estate school and he wanted to, um, do Airbnbs. And in fact, he he had something set up in Los Angeles with some Airbnbs, and um, he never really got to to do anything with that. So, if he were here, what would you tell him? What would you say to him? I'd tell him I loved him, and no matter what, how proud I am of him. I don't know. I've had dreams where I've seen him. Yeah, we dream of dream about him quite often all i can try to do in the dream is hug him and tell him i love him and he knew you guys loved him right he did at the point in time where he left you guys were in good relationship with him so the day he left he called me and he's He's like, hey, mom, I'm going to go to my friend Austin's house and hang out. We're going to play Xbox that weekend. I said, okay. He said, my, my tire's flat on my car. He said, I'm going to use this air hose. We have an air compressor in the garage. And I said, okay, no problem. And he told me he loved me. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll see you um, tomorrow. And he said, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. So he didn't text him or try to call him the next day and text him. And he wasn't, he didn't respond until later. And he said, uh, I'm still hanging out with Austin. He said, I'm just going to spend the night over here tonight. And I said, okay, that wasn't abnormal. He would leave sometimes on a Friday or Saturday and go hang out with his buddies. And then he would come back that Sunday night and he'd work or, you know, what, not so that wasn't abnormal but then i didn't hear from him monday i didn't hear from him tuesday and we got a big snowstorm and um i said i text him i said peyton i said i hope you're okay i said i just hope you, you don't try to get out here and drive in this and um i never heard back from him which was very unusual and i did say by the end like the end of that week when I didn't hear from him, I said, I'm scared you're up to your old ways. And I said, please contact me. I said, I want you to 
you know, I want you to call me. I said, this is not good that you're not calling me. And I never heard from him. And then the only person he contacted was his brother to get money. And he made up a lie to him. How, how is your uh, other son doing behind this? He doesn't really talk about it. It's really difficult for him to talk about it. So when he does start talking about Peyton and the good times he's having, or it, it, it comforts us to know, okay, he's finally talking about it. Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. <clears throat> he's doing good one week and bad the next week. Mm. Good a couple of days. Yeah. In the dark a couple of days. Joseph. I never lost a brother to substance abuse because I would have been the brother that was lost. I have had family die and countless friends die of this horrible epidemic. Through all the years I have worked with families who lost a child or lost a sibling, I want to share a little knowledge I have gained from those teachers. It's not about forcing happiness, it's about not letting the sadness win. Find perfect moments and hold on to them as long as you can. The one my father always told me and we see it every day. Life is unfair and bad things happen to good people. Pain makes people change. Peyton's death can breathe new life into your soul. You can find a better outlook about everything and maybe a deeper perspective on life. I heard someone say one time that putting one foot in front of the other after such a tragic loss has turned them into a person who appreciates more quickly, cries more easily, hopes more desperately, and loves more openly. One of the difficulties of grief is learning how to move forward, while part of your heart is forever frozen in time. Time does not heal the wounds. Healing has less to do with the passage of time, but more importantly, it's what we do with our time that matters. What really, really matters is how we spend our days, the people we surround ourselves with, how we react to situations, what we do to help others, and the difference we make in sometimes a single life. Because love lasts, so does grief. As long as you love your brother, you will grieve his loss. Grief is the price of love, and love can be worth every piece of your broken heart. Joseph, I wish you the best, and as I've said many times, I hope you can take your pain and use your brother as a powerful force to help us in this fight. We need your help. This is for you. Outside, it's like God let me dial up the weather. Got the whole crew here. I ain't seen some of them in forever. It's one of those never forget it, better stop and take it in kind of scenes. Everything's just right, yeah, except for one thing. You should be here. Cutting up, cracking a cold beer 
It's got your name written all over it And you know that if I had just one wish It'd be that you didn't have to miss this You should be Thank you guys. I really do want to thank you guys so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to assume that Peyton can hear me. Peyton, you appear to me to be a good young man who brought a lot of pleasure to everybody who met you. The mark that you left in their lives was a gift that you gave to them. I wish you hadn't have left so quickly, but we can't change that. And all we can do is change our view by seeing the message that you've given us. I see that message, which is to let every family know what is happening in our country. You've told us that it can happen to anybody, anywhere, and it doesn't discriminate. Thank you, Peyton, for showing us this. Maybe I'll meet you in heaven. You gotta show me how to dance. Thank you everybody for tuning in to Peyton's episode of High Wall Clean, giving a voice to those we've lost. Keep getting high. What's that, Peyton? Oh, Peyton wanted me to tell you, make sure that we do it clean. See you next time. Thank you.